Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come once again to your throne with uh, focus, uh, with eagerness, I pray, to hear your voice. We pray that your scripture would speak to us today, that not only would it enhance and improve our lives, but it would lay out a path for us today. We want to see and hear Lord Jesus, what your Holy Spirit had your brother write down for us for this day. Open up our minds and our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. A little louder, amen. amen. All right, there you go. Just make sure you're still awake. Uh, we are, again, uh, continuing our way through the letter of James. And uh, we are... Jumping right in the middle of chapter 3, remember uh, that not only were there not chapter and verse divisions when James wrote this letter, there certainly wasn't a division where we're making one, where someone has made one for us. It's very helpful that they did. But today I've entitled this Living in the Meekness of Wisdom. Now I have a confession to make. I'm not really six foot three. I'm actually five foot eight. I'm, I identify as six foot three. That's nothing, not my confession. My confession is that I have been studying the Bible, uh, probably as long as I've been able to read, since my mother says I was in church at two weeks old. Uh, and I've been studying the Bible intensely since I was a teenager. And for the first time, I noticed a phrase in this passage, and that may have something to do with it only appears in about three different versions, and the one we'll read, we, we'll read today is one of them. This phrase, the meekness of wisdom, I never had noticed that before. Some versions say gentleness, some versions will say humility, uh, and none of those are, are inappropriate. But you'll see in a moment when we read our text where that comes from. As we're, as we journey through this letter briefly, real briefly, we remember that we started out talking about that let the steadfastness have its effect through the various trials that we go through. And again, James is writing to a group of people that this is very real to them. He's writing to them where they are. And where they live. And so he says, you, you got things going on. Now let the various trials that you're going through, let it establish steadfastness in you. And then he says something really interesting, interesting. He said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Immediately following the encouragement to count it all joy when you go through various trials. How many of you know that when you're going through the things Sean talked about today, you need wisdom, because if you don't have wisdom, you're going to react and you're going to respond inappropriately. We are looking for a wisdom that sees life as serving God's purposes, serving the purposes of the Lord. That's the wisdom we're looking for. He went on to say in chapter 1, be quick to hear, slow to speak. You've heard that we ha- there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. Reason. Uh, receive with meekness, he wrote. And again, we hear, we see that word again. Receive with meekness or humility 
the implanted word or the word that was implanted in us from the new birth. When you came to Christ, it wasn't just a decision that you made. It kind of rubs me the wrong way when I hear people say, we had 14 decisions for Christ. Well, how many of those 14 was Christ involved in? That's what I want to know. Okay, I'll dismiss and go. But anyway, when you came to Christ, something happened. You didn't just make a decision. You didn't just choose, okay, I choose you. Aren't you happy, Jesus, now that you got me? And Jesus said, no, because all I got was a mess. Implanted in you through a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit was God's Word and God's DNA that He did. And so we see that the content of James' letter, it deals largely with our actions towards God's people. Because one of the next things we see is fulfilling the royal law. We, we talked about that. What is the royal law? It comes from Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor. Everybody say neighbor. Neighbor. As yourself. I am the Lord. If you want to know who your neighbor is, then go to Luke chapter 10 and read about the Good Samaritan where the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives him a pretty good answer. James continued about faith without a corresponding response, or we entitled our message, is your faith useless? And then last week we dealt with the tongue, the rudder of our life. We dealt with our mouth and how it either can get us in trouble or it can be productive in our life. He, he talked to, towards the end of that section about how we are blessing and cursing from the same mouth. And then he made that statement, these things ought not to be so. It, it ought not to be so that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, with that implanted word, with that DNA, it ought not to be so that we can bless and curse with the same mouth. And yet, we do. Or at least I do. I don't know about you. I may be the only one in the room that deals with that. But it's, but, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. He deals with this issue of the mouth and the tongue. And we dealt with that last Sunday. Uh, extensively, but then he moves right into who is wise. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll, I'll read the text in a moment, but he goes straight to the heart with the text that we'll read. Because if the source is pure, he deals with this at the end of the last section, if the source is pure, the outflow of the life will be pure. You know, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's the source that we're dealing with? How do we deal with the source? Well, in this passage, we will see that James identifies two wisdoms. Two wisdoms. Now you say, well, can I, uh, wisdoms, we'll get to it. One of those wisdoms produces division and disharmony. And one of these wisdoms will produce a harvest of righteousness. Harvest of righteousness. I highly recommend the, and I've done it before, but I highly recommend the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. And they're very expensive to purchase, but it's online. You can get a version online. 
That dictionary defines wisdom as the right use or exercise of knowledge. It is the knowledge and use of what is best, most just, most proper, most conducive to prosperity or happiness. This is the wisdom that brings harvest of righteousness. So now let's read our text, James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. It's a short passage. Uh, and uh, beginning, and we're, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version once again, if you wouldn't mind standing while we read the Scripture. So right out of, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Right out of that, who is wise? And then remember, he didn't stop writing between those two. Okay, he just kept. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. That's where we're headed. We're headed to that harvest of righteousness. But we'll begin with this statement, the meekness of wisdom. Self-subduing gentleness has to be the first mark of wisdom, of the of godly wisdom. Self-subduing. In other words, I die daily, to quote Paul the Apostle. I die daily or I lay myself down. This is a wisdom which always bears the mark of meekness. And I'll get in a moment to what meekness is or what it isn't. But it, bar- it bears the mark of weakness. A wisdom that does not bear the mark of meekness is not God's wisdom. We are looking, you and I are looking, and I think James is looking as he, as he wrote this, to cultivate a wisdom that promotes good relationships and peace and to live a good life of meekness. A lot, a, a, largely the content of this letter has to do with personal relationships. It has to do with God's people getting along. Remember that he wrote this letter not to unchristians or non-Christians. He wrote this letter to followers of Jesus Christ. Remember that as you, as we go through it. Meekness is an interesting word that is often misunderstood because often in our culture, we would translate meekness as weakness. And the fact is, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, the word that he uses here is the same word that appears in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it's a word, proutes or proutes. Doesn't matter how you pronounce it. Doesn't even matter that you remember. But the word in ancient Greek that was used here was used to refer to a colt that had been broken and tamed, whose power and energy could now be channeled for useful purposes. So it's not weakness at all, but it's this cult 
who has energy and strength that has been tamed. As long as this colt is running wild and free, its power, its strength is out of control, and it serves really no useful purpose to man. But when the power of that colt, when the strength of that colt is brought under control, it can now be used for useful or helpful purposes. This is the context of meekness. If we're going to understand meekness, we must understand the imagery of the cult because that's what that word refers to. In other words, meekness really and truly is strength under control or discipline. Now, I don't have a slide for that, so I'm going to get you to repeat it with me. Meekness is strength under control. Or discipline. Or right, now we're going to do it together. Meekness is strength under control or discipline. It's when we lay our lives down before God and we say to him, I take my strength and I lay it at your feet for you to use for your purposes. It's not becoming weak. It's becoming strong, but strong in him. So then we have to ask ourselves the question in the context of this passage, is the wisdom of earth or the wisdom of heaven going to rule our lives? Again, we're talking to Christians. Is the, is the wisdom of earth or the wisdom of heaven is going to rule or govern our lives? And James is asking that question here. So first we're going to deal with this earthly wisdom as he describes it in the passage. This earthly wisdom, uh, its standards and its sources are all earthly. They all come from the earth. They come from the earth way of thinking. Um, this wisdom measures success in worldly terms. Its aims or its goals are worldly aims or goals. Based on the world system, somebody today, I don't remember who, said, said that we don't think the way the world thinks, and they don't think the way we think. And the truth is, none of us think the way God thinks. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. But there is a world system and a world way of thinking, and the world says, step on who you got to step on, get as high as you need to get, and, and gain whatever you need to gain. He who dies with the most toys wins. But God, godly wisdom doesn't think that way. I like toys, uh, but I don't like the toys to own me. So the source of this earthly wisdom, James says, is not God. The source is the devil. He makes it real clear because he says that it's demonic. Well, if it's demonic, then it comes from the devil. So this way of thinking that is earthly, and I'll give a little bit of a description here in a moment, this way of thinking that is earthly, it does not come from God, but it comes from our adversary, our enemy. It, it always creates chaos and disorder, this way of thinking, this way of operating. And instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. It always drives a wedge. One of the reasons that it always drives a wedge is because its rooted and its fruit is jealousy 
and selfish ambition. If you are governed by a wisdom that is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition, then, then there's going to be division because somebody is going to get in the way of you and what you want. Years ago, I had a regional manager tell me with a particular company, he was a regional sales manager, and he was a young guy, and he was full of vim and vigor. And he said, I would step on my grandmother if that's what it took to advance in this company. Exact quote. And I said, well, I feel sorry for you. Because this is personal, selfish ambition to the max. That's the way the world thinks. And we, most of us know what jealousy is. Selfish ambition. Someone who is governed by selfish ambition is someone who persistently seeks personal advantage and gain regardless of the effect on others. As a matter of fact, if you are governed by selfish ambition, you don't care one iota about others. You don't care about what it costs someone else for you to gain something that you want. All that matters is that I've got what I want, no matter the cost. That's selfish ambition. Now, I would pray on the one hand that nobody, no one who is a follower of Jesus Christ, would be governed and operate that way. And yet, do we not know plenty of people, and sometimes those people are looking at us from the mirror, who let that kind of thinking get get inside of us, and govern our lives. And that what we want becomes more important than other people and what advantage we can gain over them. Selfish ambition and jealousy are the mark of earthly wisdom. And, and James said, this is not from God. This is not from above. But he said, there is a wisdom from above. And it's not... It's not attained by mankind by any other source except the gift of God. Except the gift of God. Remember in chapter 1, James writes, Every good, I think this was verse 17, Every good and perfect gift, everybody say gift, is from above. If you have a gift that is good, and especially if you have a gift that is perfect, then it came from above. It came from God himself. It came from the throne of God. And this is no different that this wisdom is from above. It's from God himself, from his throne, from his grace. It's the gift of God. And he goes through and he identifies what this wisdom looks like. Now, as always, when you see a list, and I'm going to try to go through it quickly because I don't want... I don't want you to see this as points. I want you to see it as the sum total. When you see this, like when you see the fruit of the Spirit, you know, I don't like picking apart love, joy, peace, all those. I I like seeing all nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit as one sum total, that it's the fruit of being with the Holy Spirit. The same is true here as James lists out these qualities of this wisdom from above. Each one has a separate meaning, but see them when we're done as a sum total. He says, 
in verse uh, 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's pure. What we're looking for in our lives is a, a wisdom that's pure. Now, the root meaning in the Greek culture, in the Greek text, in that day was a word that meant pure enough to approach the gods. In that context, it's little g in the, in the Greek world, that you were pure enough to approach the gods. In our case, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, this wisdom is so cleansed of all ulterior motives and self that it has become pure enough to see God. How many of us understand that as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, the biggest enemy we have is not the devil. It's ourselves. It's self. Now, the devil gets involved when we when we cater to self because he's, he's walking around the castle of your life. And, and here's what he's doing. He's looking for a crack. He's constantly, the, Peter tells us, he's roaming about like a roaring lion. Looking for somebody to devour. And what he's doing, he's walking around the castle of your life constantly. And what he's looking for is an opening. Paul writes, do do not give the devil an opportunity. But when he's walking around your life and he sees you giving yourself to selfish ambition to yourself, guess what he says? All right, here it is. This is what we've been looking for. Let's get in here and get as involved as we can. And that's another story for another time. Pure enough to see God. Do we understand that if our life is encumbered with self, if our life is encumbered with sin, if our life is encumbered with selfish ambition, do we understand there is no room in our lives to see God? Our vision is clouded. I don't want to get off on this, and you just want this is all I'm going to say about it. Someone keeps asking, why do we have 19 dead children in Uvalde, Texas? Why do we have somebody dead at Inglewood Elementary or whatever it was? By the way, I've been to Uvalde many times, and some of you have too. You just don't remember it. But anyway, my answer to that question is, the reason you have all of these things is because of sin. I mean, there's a lot of other answers and there's a lot of other explanations. There are a lot of solutions that we can talk about. But the ultimate reason we see these things in our culture is because there is sin in our world. That's all I'm going to say. He goes on to say this, this wisdom is also peaceable. And when he's talking about peaceable, he's not just talking about the absence of conflict, but he's talking about right relationships. Again, A large context of this letter is about relationships with one another, with God's people. Right relationships between mankind and mankind, but more importantly, between mankind and God. That there would be a bridge, there would be a connectivity between us and God's people. That there would be a peace between us and God. Romans 5 says we were once enemies of God. But now we've made peace with God. 
It doesn't mean in our relationships with one another that we always agree on everything. It doesn't mean, as a matter of fact, one of the ways to achieve a peaceable relationship with other people is to deal with your conflicts, to talk about them. I used to hear Derek Prince say, one of the reasons that your muscles, you weightlifters know this, one of the reasons your muscles get strong is because you put tension against them. You, you put force and there, you put opposition against what your muscle, and when you do that enough times, you start looking like you got guns hanging from your shoulders. Same thing happens in the spiritual life. We have to be so settled in our covenant life with one another that we can deal with conflict in a reasonable way that doesn't separate. Our problem as humans is when we deal with conflict, one of us wants to run. Well, both of us want to, but one of us usually does. But the fact is, we can have peaceable relationships, and we should have peaceable relationships. And one of the ways to achieve that is to be honest with one another. And then he says this, this, this wisdom is gentle. Uh, every commentary I read, every dictionary I read made this statement. This is the most untranslatable word in the Greek New Testament. So we won't say anything about it. We'll move on. No, that's not true. It's really a word that means to forgive when strict justice affords the right to condemn. That's tough. When we really have the right to condemn someone and yet we choose to forgive that's this word. I don't, I didn't even put it in here because I don't want to try to. It, it's, it means, it means that we understand how to make allowances for people. It, it, we understand that it means when not to demand one's rights. Every, every one of us at one time or another have probably said, I demand my rights. Well, you can do that. But someone else may be demanding their rights regarding you at some point. This word says gentle, but it really means that if even though I could demand my rights, there are times, not all the time, don't, don't, hear, don't hear me saying something I'm not saying, but sometimes there's a place that we just choose to not demand our rights. That's this word. We understand how to temper Justice and mercy. Some of us lean to justice real heavily. And bless God, they're going to get theirs if I got anything to do with it. Well, you, you've heard me say, and you've said, thank God I don't get what I deserve. Thank God you don't get what you deserve. But some of us lean real heavy on the side of justice. I got to see it done. Some of us lean too heavily on the side of mercy. We're always just letting everything go. And we think, listen, we think we're helping people when we let them get away with stuff all the time. Parents. Parent your children. Don't be their friends. Let somebody else be their friends. They may grow up not liking you. That's fine. And one day they'll like you again. But now, 
Don't let them get away with everything. And yet, don't be over here either where you're pounding them on the head every move they make. This word, and it, by the way, listen, did you hear me say we can't attain this? You can't read it in a book. You can't, you can't watch a movie or listen to a sermon. You, it's a gift from above, but we have to be able to, this, according to this word, be able to balance and temper the justice and the mercy of God. Scripture says, behold, this is something we need a good dose of, by the way. Behold the goodness. He doesn't stop there. And the severity of God. We've got a gospel today that leaves the second part of that out. All we want to talk about is the goodness of God. And we sing about the goodness of God. And we should, and I hope we continue to. But if we're going to sing about the goodness of God, we better remember that there's also a severity of God. Boy, you got quiet. At some point in the future... I don't know when I hope to teach a series on fear and the fear of God. And let me just tell you and prepare you. You may want to stay home. I'm not going to talk about just having respect for God. If you understand who God really is, you tremble in his presence. Well, I'll get to that later. To, to understand this word, we remember that there are greater things in the world than rules and regulations. I was going to play you a video today. I didn't pull it down. But it had, it had Barney Fife on the witness stand. This was one of those clips from the Andy Griffith show that was not comedy. It was not humorous. It was very serious. And Andy was on trial for something that he had not done. And one of the things that got him into trouble was Barney's mouth. And Barney was saying, Andy does not run a taut ship. In other words, he understood the balance between justice and mercy. Barney did not. Barney, it was all justice. It was all, bless God, let's, we got to do it this way. And he told the folks that he was testifying. He said, you got to understand something, that Andy has been trying to teach me something as long as I've been his deputy, but I still hadn't gotten it. It's this. Sometimes you got to go with the heart and not just the letter of the law. That's what this word means. He also said it's open to reason or it's reasonable. Some of your versions will say, which is maybe a better way, and some of them will translate this way, willing to yield. That's, that's the wisdom that comes from above. It really means ready to obey. Being ready to obey. True wisdom from God is not rigid, but willing to listen. And it knows when it's wise to yield. Sometimes it's wise just to get out of the way. Not always. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to turn us all into mealy mouths. I'm saying sometimes it's time to do that. He goes on to say, and we combine these two, full of mercy and good fruits, this wisdom. Mercy for those who are in trouble, even if the trouble is their own fault. 
Now, let me just hasten to add, we're not talking about being enablers here. Because the love of God act or, or, or communicated to someone we really care about does not always let them off the hook. If you really care about somebody, you're not going to just turn your head to everything, something they do constantly because you know that where that's headed. But on the other hand, part of this wisdom that James is talking about is a mercy for those who are in trouble, even if the troubles are on fault. Sometimes you just got to say, hey, you blew it, but I'm still going to help you. Some of you remember Gary Browning, who's been in this pulpit Many times, he won't be anymore. It's not because I'm mad at him. It's because he's in heaven. Gary, you know Gary's story. He fell. He was a pastor in Atlanta. He, he fell morally and spent, well, he told me one time, he said, I was literally, literally and physically eating out of trash cans in the gutter. Alcohol, alcohol was his big demise. He lost his wife, he lost his family, and ultimately lost, obviously lost his church, lost his ministry, and he spent 10 years in recovery. Took him 10 years to get back to a place to where he could minister. And guess who was right beside him every step of those 10 years? A guy by the name of Charles Simpson never left his side, stayed with him through the whole process, caught some flack from some people because he was too kind to Gary. And yet he demanded of Gary what he needed to do to get back to where he could be used of God again. And, of course, after those 10 years, he founded what was then Discovery Family Ministries, which is today Gary Browning Ministries. And we still, as a church, support Gary Browning Ministries because his widow, Linda, is carrying on that ministry. Why? Because somebody understood that mercy is for those in trouble even though the trouble was their own fault. Mercy that results in good fruits that which results in practical solutions. One, one way of saying this is active compassion. This mercy, this mercy is not true mercy until we have exercised that towards someone in an act, actionable way. He also said this wisdom is impartial. Or undivided in our mind. It's not wavering or vacillating. So here you go. You have to understand how to temper justice and mercy. But you also understand that we're not vacillating between two points. We're not wavering in our faith. We understand that there we embrace certain Christian certainties. There are certain uh, uh, unalterable truths that we embrace as followers of Jesus Christ that cannot be compromised. We have to understand that. He says this wisdom is sincere. He really means that it's without hypocrisy. It's, it never pretends what it is not. 
never, it never acts apart to just gain its own ends, its own purpose. That's this wisdom from above. So what are we looking for? We'll close with this. We're looking for the harvest of righteousness, verse 18. James was looking for that. The word there, I believe, the word harvest in that passage refers to all the good things in verse 17. All the things we just talked about, that's the harvest of righteousness that we're looking for. It's the proper, it's the natural outgrowth of our being right. Everybody say right. With God. Right with God. And because of that, we have a harvest that is righteous. And remembering that righteousness is not perfection. Righteousness is right standing with God. A group, church, whatever, family, where there is bitterness and strife is a barren soil in which the seeds of righteousness can never grow and out of which no reward can ever come. If you've ever been involved in a church that I just described, you know how miserable that is. When you have factions that are attempting to divide, when you have groups that are are uh, moving in a direction of self and selfish ambition. When you have, uh, hey, I'm trying not to describe things too, too accurately here. When you have groups of people who feel a certain amount of ownership of that place, church, whatever it may be, and someone comes along and upsets their apple cart, then you have problems. There's no way, there's no way righteousness can, can grow in that environment. That's why when I hear, and it's rare that I hear, but when I hear of folks in our spiritual family, our church, who are at all with one another, I step in. I'm not going to stand by and watch that happen without bringing people to a table and you know what I mean when I say the Waffle House ministry. That means you sit down eye to eye with someone. You know, when I started saying that, I've been the pastor of this church for 21 years. When I started saying that, that's about all we had in Mount Juliet, if you remember. We had a Waffle House. I don't remember what else. I don't even know if Cracker Barrel was in back then. But anyway, there wasn't much down there. And it was a two-lane road, not a four-lane road. Y'all can either blame or pat them on the back, Rob, Shearer, and Kevin Mack for that. They're the ones that did all that. But when I started saying that, that was all was down. And that was go down to the Waffle House, sit down in a booth, and don't get up until you got this thing ironed out. And because of that, and because... The people of this congregation have a heart to do so. We've never had huge blow-up events. Hey, would y'all like just to keep it that way? Please do. Please do. As I said, you're an easy group to pastor. I'm probably not easy to get along with, but we don't have to deal with a lot of that. 
because people cut it off. And another thing, last week we talked about gossip. We've never had a real problem in this congregation with gossip. Have we had, have we, have we had a situation where nobody ever wants to gossip? Good night almighty. We're humans. But has it become a problem? No. Y'all pretty good folks. And you watching on the cameras, y'all too. Now I'm including y'all in that. This is what James is after. I mean, this is exactly what he's after in this letter and particularly in this section. This is why he goes from watch your mouth to who is wise and understanding. We are trying to reap the harvest which a good life brings. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, I pray once again that you've said more than I have said. That you've spoken to us deeper with more clarity than I could have ever done. And I pray that every person under the sound of my voice has heard you say something to them. None of us, including myself, can remember the entirety of this message. But every one of us can remember one thing that you spoke to us, that we will carry with us. Let that be what changes our lives. We pray, Lord God, that we would have your wisdom from above, the wisdom that your servant James describes in his writing here, and that we would see the fruit of that wisdom in our lives. And we would not chase after the wisdom that comes from the devil that is demonic, that it satisfies the senses. But we would open ourselves and seek the wisdom that comes from the throne of God so that we could go out into society, into the community, and bringing with us our bag of seed, sowing the gospel of the kingdom of God into the culture in which we engage. Thank you for this time today. We thank you once again for these graduates and what they've accomplished, and what they will accomplish. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. What's left of it?